Stephanie. And I'm Summer. And you're listening to Broke and Broken. <laughs> because we're both. The podcast about living your best life by getting real. Hey, broken people. Today we're going to do something a little different. Stephanie is going to interview me. And... Yes. So, hello, broken people. <laughs> so, this is Stephanie, and I'm going to be interviewing Summer today. Tell us how, how this came How this about. idea happened. Okay. Yes. Well, first of all, you know, we've been working on the podcast. We started this idea many months before it actually aired. Um, at first, we were waiting on Stephanie to get geographically close. Closer, and then it became clear that wasn't happening anytime soon so we just kind of went with it and um but we had recorded I guess what three or four episodes and you know we're getting feedback and questions from people and then the other day I had um somebody had come a friend was over and of course you know relatively recent friends you know we only met like a year ago started hanging out about six months ago so he doesn't really know a whole lot about me and he was in my house okay I, I I tell a little bits and pieces about myself in the interviews but which is why there's a lot of questions from people because I don't elaborate and it creates a lot of weird questions so I have I have four college degrees, okay? I have a bachelor, two masters, and a law degree. I don't tell a lot of people this. There are people who have known me for years who don't know this. And I don't have an office right now. Um, the the law, law work I do, I, I'm mobile. So I don't have an office to hang my diplomas in. Um, yeah. And last time I left them not hanging up, a dog ate them, and I had to reframe them. And I don't really <laughs> want them. That literally happened. It was a bulldog, and I loved him, but he was stupid. Um, yeah, the dog didn't, just, didn't eat the homework. He, he chewed up the diplomas. And the frame and yeah it was horrible fortunately I had it in a big matted frame so he didn't actually destroy the diploma he just the frame of the mat before I found it (laughs) so they're hanging on the wall in my bedroom because almost nobody's ever here I don't let people come over and so nobody ever sees it so I forget they're there they're just like hanging on the wall they're hanging on her wall so that they don't get misplaced I I remember how carefully you know over the course of the most recent move oh right you helped me move (laughs) Yeah, so we were both keeping track of where that box was because there's some things you just you just don't want to lose. They're so expensive. And 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 the reality is, we have children, and you know, you you lead the kind of busy lives that we both do. We both have big families. If you hang it on the wall you're more likely to find it when right when it doesn't get destroyed arrives. it doesn't get destroyed so exactly. when, he, when he got up to leave I, I saw he kept staring at the wall and I'm just like not saying anything I'm just watching him he doesn't know I'm watching him and finally he just kind of blurts out and I don't know if he meant to say it out loud or not <laughs> he says damn who are you and I just I sat there for it probably took me about 30 seconds to answer because I have all these thoughts going through my head and I think what I finally said was nobody <laughs> and he's like, he's like, clearly that's not true. But in my head, I'm just like, you know what? I really don't fucking know, to be honest. So all these things have come up in the course of these interviews of the podcast. You know, I've talked about growing up a preacher's kid, and I've talked about all this stuff. And, you know, I've been married. I've been divorced. I've got a bazillion children. You know, I've got a little small tribe that I keep here. Um <laughs> So the reality is very complicated and it it is very confusing and I've had questions from listeners like I don't understand, you know, what's going on. So I'm going to let Stephanie interview me to kind of answer some of those questions, you know, because I do talk about being a a rape survivor and all of that. And she knows all these things so she can kind of lead me through this. And then at some point I do want to talk about the um, episode about being a PK and and, and families and how wonderful that is. But I'll let Stephanie kind of lead from here. Yes. So... You know, we all have have a history and how we get from, you know, where we were, um, you know, growing up, our experiences affect who we become as adults. Sometimes there's things that we need to overcome and sometimes they are as well the resilience that we have or do not have and sometimes it's both. So tell us a little bit about your your childhood home and, and the dynamic, um, how you were, how you grew up. <laughs> okay, so I call myself a recovering PK. Which for people who didn't grow up evangelical, PK is the abbreviation for preacher's kid. And there's always the stereotype about the preacher's kid being wild and crazy. And it is true for some of us. But (laughs) I think a lot of that comes from the um, pushback against the repression that happens. um, Uh Because there is this idea and it's it's taught very openly and particularly in evangelical and especially the more extreme ends you get to that. That if a 
if a if a minister cannot control his own household then and i say his because in a lot of those churches women are still not allowed to be ministers but that's a whole other issue um that has shifted up somewhat but it's still very prevalent but that if a minister can't control and yes that is the word they use their own household then they are not fit to lead a church and so that means that the children are expected to not make natural normal mistakes you're expected to always put on appearances the family's supposed to appear perfect and yes Mm -hmm. and, and so you create this this facade just kind of naturally ends up being created uh-huh. and there's a lot that doesn't that in a lot of our homes ends up not being dealt with um not being handled properly and there's a lot of shame because you get yes. the normal you get there is a certain amount of shame that happens in the churches in these especially and like the i said to push things under right under the rug because appearances matter more right there's a certain amount reality I'm, yeah right and that, and that is so harmful because yes. whenever we whenever we cover up uh struggles Mm-hmm. We also are covering up the ability and the resiliency that comes with recovering and support. Right. Uh, this is why I am a, a, a big uh, supporter of transparency. Mm-hmm. And shoving something under the rug is never going to make it go away. In fact, it just perpetuates uh, cycles right. it of makes what it is worse. oftentimes abuse. Right. It makes it worse. So there's a certain amount of shame that already happens in the church. And then that's, multiple, that's magnified exponentially in ministers' homes, even when they're not meaning to or they're trying to not because you have to have that facade and you have to have it all together or the people in the church and the community won't trust the minister and so it gets to be this complicated problem that Uh a lot of times you don't even see while you're in it Uh and so compound on top of that my father so I was preacher's kid so that carries its own little (laughs) interesting dynamic and then Uh um as well there's another issues there's some other issues you know of course we're from a native community there's the whole intergenerational trauma that happens Uh um you know because boarding schools and all of this the boarding schools introduced abuse and substance abuse as well into our communities I mean it is a very bright line that you can see in my our community in particular of where that happened and so there's some abuse um history and in the family dynamic now my parents Uh tried to be very deliberate to not (laughs) propagate that same abuse to us however when you grow up with a certain level of abuse your concept of what constitutes abuse is a bit skewed So what yes. they thought was not abusive would be considered abusive by a lot of people. So, exactly. Yeah, and so things that change from one time. generation to the next. No, even in that generation, mm-hmm. even in that mm-hmm. generation, it's yes. considered abuse by most people. It's just yes. it was mm-hmm. less than what dad got, so he, yes. in his mind, it was better, right? So yes. like I get it, like he still wasn't okay. There was a lot of it that still wasn't okay, but I understand like where he's coming from. <laughs> Like, uh-huh. his intent wasn't to be abusive. He thought, well, if I keep it within these parameters, it's okay. Even though it's yes. not really and it's still harmful. But also, my dad would, um, my mother was a child bride. She was married uh-huh. off to him um, after she turned 17. And when I say after, like, they got married on June 18th and she had just turned 17 on May 25th. So a few weeks after her 17th birthday, they got married. He was a um, full seven years older than her. Uh-huh. Years later, because um, I find myself deliberately pushing their comfort zone a lot and talking about things they don't want to talk about, but it has. Made because a, that's what summer does. That's what summer sometimes. does. But you know what? <laughs> it has brought a lot of healing and reconciliation into our family. And the, yes. and they are completely different people than they were than the people who raised me. And that's the only yes. reason I trust them with my children. And, and I've he, had that same dynamic mm-hmm. and experience with, with, my, with my own family. We that's can good. be a catalyst to bring about change. Right. And we need to not fear being the the driving person that that puts people in a position of needing to examine their lives and their decisions and not just you know so often we just do what our parents did who did what their parents did right we need to to think about what healthy yeah we need to think about what healthy is and does and what will lead to success and then we need to intentionally begin to make our choices you know one of my pet peeves i i say that people choose partners um with less 
consideration than, than they do their next puppy or, or their next car. So we need to be intentional and deliberate in how we're living. And, well, that's um, because and we've been sold the lie of romance instead of reality, <laughs> yes, you know, yes. where, oh, you're just supposed to get swept up and be in love and marry that person uh, and be together no, forever. That's and that's dangerous. not right. Yeah. It's not reality. But he will admit now, or he has, I haven't talked to him about this in a few years, but at one point he, what, he did finally acknowledge that, yeah, part of the reason he chose a child was because she was easier to control and manipulate. Because that's mm-hmm. the person he was at that time. That's where he was. Mm-hmm. And so that's why, you know, anybody who follows me on social media knows that I'm very <laughs> anti-child marriage. <laughs> and I'm, ab- uh, you know, an advocate yes, for male- abuse. Right. On top of that, also my father has been um, disabled since he was 15. He was in a car accident when he was 15. Um, mm-hmm. He's died multiple times. We have no idea why he's still alive. Nobody can explain it. It just is. So what, and he's doing relatively a lot better um, in mm-hmm. my adult you know in his health during my adult life but when we were children especially very small children he was in the hospital dying and I mean literally dying and having to be resuscitated um yes at least once or twice a year so we spent a lot of time with family members with aunties with my with grandparents so there's always this stress of is he gonna die I I didn't grow up with this privilege or luxury of believing that any anything is permanent that's why I always tell people and they think I'm talking about divorce but I always tell people all relationships are temporary and I'm not actually yeah. talking about divorce necessarily, although that does happen and that's perfectly valid. I am also very well aware that we're mortal and we don't always have control over that, you know? Right. Well, and if you look at the, you know, the, the longevity that we have in our, our community, I mean, it's, it's just, it's a, it's a logical conclusion right. to, to come to and, and oh. a populace that yes. has the the extremely the highest rates of of death and fatality of any uh, group or race of people in the United States yes as indigenous people I can... so we're, we're faced with this on a daily basis right. either we ourselves or somebody close to us is dealing with with death and multiple deaths yes every I can... single week I cannot relate to these people who are grown ass people who say they have never lost anybody close to them. Like, I do not understand this. I I, I remember my first funeral at three. I, you know, I, I we lose people all the fucking time. Like, I don't we understand do. how you can get to, do you not have family? Like, how does this happen? Well, they, that you can get the, to be grown. The thing is, is they only have their nuclear family and they are not relying on, and they're not building and maintaining those relationships uh, with their extended family. That's bizarre they're, to me. You know, that is part of, that is part but of even the, Colonial mindset. They don't even lose friends though? Because I've been losing friends since I was a kid too. Like I don't understand. Think about it. How many? How many? um, How many white friends have you lost since you were since you Uh, since you were a child? I haven't had that many white friends. But how many white people did you know or grow up with? A couple. A couple. A couple. Yes. And And I think they died during high school. Yeah. To the monumental and the uh, essentially avalanche of losses that we face as indigenous people. That's true. A lot more. um, A lot more. I have only lost. If I, if I really think about it, now I have um, one cousin mm-hmm. who committed suicide mm-hmm. when I was growing up. Um, I've lost, you know, my grandparents' generation and the, you know, the aunts and uncles, and I'm talking about the whites, part of my family. And right. then I, I lost a, a near and dear to my heart friend um, at the age of 46 who had a heart attack. Right. So, you know, compare compare those two losses to the other side of my family and it's absolutely surreal so this is this is what we talk about when we're discussing intergenerational trauma this is something that most people um cannot cannot really relate to um yeah so because of his health problems you know he had a very short temper Very low tolerance for children. I mean, honestly, when they decided to have children, he didn't expect to be around for very long. So uh-huh. I don't think he really thought about what it was going to be like to raise children. And, and now he's helping raise grandchildren. Right. So who would have thought? <laughs> but he, so he was very short-tempered. And, um, yeah, we learned not, we didn't really learn uh, so much of, what to um <laughs> what to do and not to do we learned don't piss dad off that was the yes um in any event so they do your, mm-hmm. go ahead your your family so who did you grow up with in the home and i know you had extended family but actually in, in, the in your home actually mm-hmm. in the house um my parents my mom and my dad and their other daughter who is mm-hmm. 21 months older than me yes 
So and and I actually asked her to I'm um, do an episode of the podcast because um, I wanted because I have gotten a lot of questions about what it's like to be a PK because that has which I don't think any of it's made into the episodes because it was kind of a tangential thing but most of the, the interviews I've done where that was brought up that they wanted to know more because, you know what's that like and so I wanted to do an episode with her on what it's like to be a PK and her initial response was you know I don't know that I can do that because I still have a lot of unresolved trauma that I don't really like talking about which was fine like if you haven't processed that that's, that's where she's at that's yes. perfectly fine I don't want to push you to do that so then a few days ago I get a, um, you know, but she did ask for a, for the links to listen to the podcast that are up and so she could consider that. Right. So I gave them to uh-huh. her and I do with, you know, telling her I've not told our family about this because I don't want to have conversations with them about this stuff. In fact, when uh-huh. I used to have a blog, you know, it had a disclaimer on there that said, if I know you in real life, don't read past here. And when you do, sorry, a timer on my phone. Um, cause I'm cooking too, cause I'm hungry. Uh, <laughs> and when you do, if I haven't talk to you about these issues and uh don't bring them up to me because I don't want to talk to you about them so I told her that and I hope she's going to keep that I mean to be honest she and I don't have a relationship it's non-existent I'm sure everybody noticed I call her my parents other daughter not my sister we can go into why that happened in a few minutes okay but but um... well let's go let's finish the what the what happened with the podcast and then we can go there Uh um so a few days ago she sends me a text says i listened to your podcast and i have a few questions to better understand some things so i think she's still considering coming on and you know trying to figure this out right so Uh then she says you refer to anxiety beginning when you were young and ptsd starting at 14 what do you consider to be the cause of these things and so i tell her i'm like that's really not that's really not something i'm going to talk to you about it's from an incident as the PTSD is not related to anybody in the home and I, uh-huh. it's not something I want to discuss with you it has nothing to do with the episode that you know that I'm trying to do with you and uh-huh. so then she's still pushing that boundary you know I'm trying to understand where you're coming from and how this would connect with the subject of growing up as a PK and I'm like it doesn't that's why I'm not going to discuss it with you so then you know and I told I reminded her again you know I don't want want to discuss these things with the family if I did if I felt it was safe to discuss the stuff with the family I would have told them in 1995 <laughs> when it happened yes. you know I don't yes. want to have this conversation so she and so then I get along a three paragraph text message um that says I find I don't I do tend to not talk to family members because I live my life differently but I still have very conservative views which as we all know is just coded language for I'm a bigot but that's another issue as does my husband I do tend to parent somewhat different but I'm not against some methods used while we were raised just not to the extent they were used with us which I assume she, to mean she hits her kids I, she's very critical of me. She doesn't think I hit my kids enough. <laughs> oh, she didn't drink enough of that child beaten Kool-Aid, did you? Right. I, yeah. I have never heard of the words, keep on crying and I'll give you something to cry about. Yeah. Um, no, I don't. Um, no. Let's, let, let's stop right there. Let's look at that. <laughs> um, this is why we have entire segments of society because they are perpetuating the, this broken history from one generation to the next. Oh, so, listen to the next um, two paragraphs so you can get the full feel on that one. I believe that a child should be respectful to all adults and address them with yes, ma'am, and yes, sir, etc. They should have responsibilities and work for things. Um, my children do all of those. The irony oh. is all of her children are younger than most of my children, which is cute. In a nutshell, this is my house and these are my rules. My children will be respectful, productive citizens when they leave my house, which I assume she thinks you have to hit them to make that happen. I, my child, I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying, I'm not saying spanking your children is, you know, absolute horrible or whatever, but it's not necessary. It's not the only way to get there. Well, no, I see, I, I, Oh boy, respect all adults. I think that's a load of horseshit because I all agree. adults are not respectful. And not And only, I think uh, that, and, and I, I do f- find that, I do believe that that uh, yes ma'am, no ma'am um, comment was directly related to my children do not call her that. But that dates back to when my first son was born in our way we're matrilineal she would be called Mm -hmm. mom she would be called their mother as well she told my oldest son that he was not allowed to call her that yes she left the family she left our community 
she yes. don't automatically get that. That's not yes, how it and, works. And that is a really, um, I, I want to know, and, and we've talked about this before, and um, I discussed this actually with my daughters. Mm-hmm. I, I said that one of your sons had called you know, his aunt by that traditional name, mm-hmm. which is the other mother, to see my daughter's faces. You know, I, I, I wish you could have been a fly on the wall because mm-hmm. they were utterly scandalized as I was mm-hmm. when you when you shared that with me um, I'm wondering is that when she became your parents other daughter versus your sister or was it before <laughs> no. that time no it was actually after that time I still tried to maintain a relationship with her and I I did for many years I mean of course he's 17 now and this happened when he was a toddler well he was an early because she declined you know and in, in, a, in a pretty harmful way right to to accept the responsibilities the, the family responsibilities at that point that was a clear line drawn in the sand so um, i'm stunned that you can continued from that point forward because that's just so you know it it hurts my spirit i recognize i recognize that a lot of it is her trauma and i do realize and i do recognize that her choice to leave the community and become naholo as we say, is uh-huh. in large part due to that. And of course, her worldview and her values as well. But I did continue to try to keep a relationship. We talked a lot. I tried to encourage her to get therapy before she had children. Um, I don't know if she did or she didn't. I have no idea. I'm not going to yeah, speculate. Yeah, sort of relationship where I'm, you can ask those kinds of things. Right. I'm not going to speculate wanna, I on that. I something I, yeah, I, real quick. Go ahead. Um, she said, my house, my rules. Yeah. And for, Which is that very controlling. Yes. <laughs> For our listeners, it is my sincere hope and prayer that your the home that your children are, are raised in is not just your home, but it is their home as well. I think we need to to all take a step back and have the mentality of the the home that people live in, whether it includes grandparents and parents or, or parents and children. It needs to be a collective home, not my house, my rules, my way, and you know, screw you. But they need to to have a a home as well. And that type of thinking um, is not productive or conducive to healthy relationships and healthy boundaries between children and parents. Mm, That's an interesting point. I mean, I I think that is one thing that we grew up with. You know, they're very much in control and this is their home and you're allowed to live in it and you're allowed to breathe. (laughs) So I do do use that phrase a lot. This is my house Uh and my rules, but I think my kids know. And I've been very explicit to them and I know a lot of Nahuatl people criticize me openly about this because they come, you know, they say it to me that I have always told my children, you can question the rules, you can question, you know, why things have to Uh be this way, but you're going to do it with words and respect. And timing is important, you know. Sometimes I'm going to tell you, now is not the time, just do it, Uh and then we'll talk about it. But I I believe that's important. I, uh-huh. I believe that's important. They need to learn that logical thought processing. I don't believe in blind obedience to any authority. Yes. I believe and it should be up for discussion. Right. Um, this is, you know, there are times when I give a hard rule and, you, you know, my my teenagers bump up against the rule. They want to have their electronics uh, 24-7. And I don't see that the dependence that right. they have on them as being healthy to their mental, emotional, or spiritual development. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, my 17-year-old is button hard. And I've told her, I said, when you're 21, you can have it all the time right. <laughs> um, but you know she's welcome to move out before she's 21 too but, right. <laughs> um, you know while she's getting an education and knowing that their their friends and and, and cousins etc um, seeing the the results of their their lack of sleep and how it is affecting them educationally there there are times now that they're getting older that they have actually come to me and said thank you for doing this Right. So that's, that is the hard part of parenting. But all rules in my home are open to discussion, but I set them. Right. And, and, and I you think know, that... they can live with them or not, and they need to respectfully come to me and, and not, you know, from from point of, of being pissed off or, right. or angry and door slamming. But if they want to come to me respectfully, and we have annual meetings in our home, by oh, the really? way. Dis- yes, we do. We, we sit down and we discuss everything front to back about twice a year. Um, we discuss their education. We discuss their goals. We discuss where they're going and how, what they need to do to get there and how I can help them to to meet those goals and mm-hmm. you know I also want to to acknowledge the growth that they've had over the last you know six months to a year mm-hmm. and um, you know where we're going to go from there on forward so if you can't have di- dialogue with with your children like that 
Um, and I think all parents need to, then they've got, those parents have some work that they need to do in order to bring up healthy children who can contribute rather than simply take from society. Right. And that's why I do it. I feel like it's important to the decision making, to the learning. They have to learn to take care of themselves. They have to learn how to make their own decisions. And that's one thing uh-huh. about being in such a controlled environment, like growing up as a PK, a lot of times you get a list of rules and you have to do them whether, and you don't understand why you have to do them. And so you don't learn those uh-huh. skills. And that's one yes. thing that I saw with her. And I actually confronted my parents about that at one point when we were living together my freshman year of college. She didn't know how to take care of herself. She didn't know how to make these. I mean, she could clean a house. She could cook for herself. But making these, uh-huh. making sound decisions, she didn't know how to do that. She had never been, because she was the compliant child. I was uh-huh. the child who's going to do whatever the fuck I want. And you can, beat, uh-huh. you can beat me to death for it. But that's fine. I still won because I still did what I wanted. Yes. And so that personality difference made a big difference developmentally because she went into, you know, she graduated graduated and went to college not really having any experience in making sound you know those sound decisions or anything like that and so we uh I confronted my parents about that at one point because they were trying to ground her from uh-huh. you know from from a distance and they wanted me to like supervise this I'm like no she's grown like she, at this uh-huh. point she's like and you're younger than her right putting you in a really awkward position yeah I'm not gonna be and your even narc if you were <laughs> younger than her um you know that's just Right. Yeah, that's just that's that's just unhealthy and unacceptable to put you. Right. Um, you know, that's playing one child against the other. Well, and, and that's part of why we don't have a sound relationship because that was set up the whole time we were growing up. There was always this. Um, this conflict that was created by them not I don't think it was intentional obviously but in especially when you're in a in a in a household where sometimes it can be explosive and sometimes it can be physically violent I hate to use that word because it's such a broad word but I mean sometimes Uh I mean when you're getting hit with a fucking leather whip I don't know what the hell else you call it yeah Um, yes well um, and and, you know and and in 2018 um people don't be hitting your your children with belts it's that's child abuse I was hit with a riding crawl um for a horse you know the yeah, one of those uh, those uh, two stra- it's got the two leather straps uh-huh. on it yes. and I was yes. um, they had me showing sheep because you know country um, for uh-huh. one year and there's a certain there's certain ways you're supposed to move and certain ways you're supposed to stand and everything and uh-huh. I moved my foot and so I got hit and I mean yeah. like it was I, I lost count at seven I don't know yes. how many times he hit my, my leg um, okay and let, let me stop right quick she doesn't know how many times he hit her leg because she checked out yes go ahead oh Oh, anytime we we got we got dad would call it whooping. Um, we got whoopings with a belt, a leather belt. Yes. Um, it was yes, creased I in half. Know. It was creased uh-huh. in half, and it was always how I got through it was even from the time I was little bitty. He didn't believe you know you weren't allowed to move like there, this whole running business. No way that did not happen in our house. You had to lay uh-huh. over the bed so that you were still, and he would hit you on the butt. Uh-huh. I'm doing air quotes here for the people who can't see me, which usually translates to somewhere between the middle of your back to the back of your knees because uh-huh. you're not that fucking uh, <laughs> accurate you know on a tiny child uh-huh. you're just not and so how I would get through it was I would count how many times it hit me I always uh-huh. lost count at 10 it was never yes. less than that I always lost count at 10 uh, <laughs> and so that was just you know his quote discipline and I say the quote because that's not what that fucking word means that's not that's, <laughs> not, what, that's not what discipline means exactly and- that's um, not what it means. If, if you want to discipline your children, folks, please sit down and, and talk to and, and educate your children Teach and them. give them healthy boundaries and consequences uh, for their actions. But please don't beat your children. Right. Uh, we, we don't support being children <laughs> at, at Broken Broken. So um, That's why we're we broken. Need, maybe we need to have, maybe we need to, and, and you know, um, no, we definitely need to have a, a, a talk and, and uh, about what, child discipline and healthy child discipline looks like and how to recover from inappropriate discipline I'm working on getting someone who works with children and child development uh, to yes. come on at some point. Yes. Um, yes. So, so we did try to keep. I did try to keep a relationship with her because I, I realized a lot of the stuff is her trauma. It's not her fault. She didn't ask for this. So I tried to, you know, keep. Even though sometimes, man, it was really hard. Cause like when she told my son, "You can't call me that," or um, when I had two after I had two boys, I did. You a, can't call me other mom. <laughs> That's just heartbreaking. I right. can't stop there. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Stephanie is traumatized by proxy. I am traumatized by this. I, I really um, am traumatized by this. It makes me cry. So, like, uh, it really does. It makes me weep for your children. So, when they were both toddlers, they, um, because they're 
like 21 months apart too they're very close together yes. um they um which happened by accident but it's the little because the younger one was born early um, but See, mine are really close together like that intentionally <laughs> no, this was summer's bad planning summer can't plan okay when she's ovulating her brain doesn't work and uh. Yeah, I, I can she, admit to yeah. that one, but, uh, but no, no, I, I wanted to have, have kids crazy close together because in my family of origin, we were all seven years apart. Oh, dang, so that's my, a big I was like, fuck that, we don't need to do that. So it was right. like raising different, you know, essentially, literally raising different generations right? in one home because we don't even belong to, to right, the same. Right, the same, yeah. Um, so when my boys were toddlers, I had a class that I did out at um, in Albuquerque. And at that time, because they she married a white dude they that works in oil field so they move every few years uh-huh. you know um because uh-huh. that's I, I guess that's just how it works you know in order to get promotions you end up having to move to a new location yeah so at this time they were out in farmington while we were out you know we we're already out in albuquerque so i'm like okay let's run over to farmington and we'll visit so we went out there and uh <laughs> you know she she's very and American, you know, with status and neighborhood and what have you. And apparently they belong to a country club. Now, first of all, I don't know what the fuck to do at a country club. I've never been to one. I'm never, I, I, I don't know. So she wants to take me to the country club because she's trying to show me, show it off to me. And I'm just like, okay, whatever, I'll go. Sure. Um, but then she tells me because she is, um, I mean, we talk about me being ethnically ambiguous. You know, most people don't know what I am. She's completely Uh white passing. She's very light. She has blonde hair. At some point, it got darker. I don't know if she lightens it or if it just got light again, but she's blonde. Uh So she tells me not to say anything about being Choctaw because the people there don't know that she's native. And I'm, I'm so, sitting and here. So she doesn't, the people. So she's living in a community as a, as a white passing indigenous person who grew up within her own community. So um, Right. So at this point, this is when I realized, oh, no, she has deliberately and completely left our community. Like, she does not see yes. a connection to us. And so I'm looking at myself now. I was much darker than I'd been spending time in the sun. I, I'm a vampire now that never gets sunlight. That, and I use a lot of sunscreen because I'm not trying to look old. Um, uh-huh. I got to choose my vanities and wrinkles. Um, so I'm, you know, I'm looking at myself and I look at my two little long haired boys and I'm like, and who were darker than me, you know, their dad is Cherokee. So, and I asked her, I said, how, if your friends don't know, how are you going to explain us? I'm like, you, you can't take these little Indian boys in there and introduce them as your nephews and somebody not ask a fucking question. How, I'm like, how did you, she didn't work that out. She was, no. uh, this is what we call, uh, people, this is what we call cognitive dissonance. Um, <laughs> Fair. This, this is what we call cognitive dissonance. Okay, go ahead. So she hadn't, so she hadn't thought about that. And I'm like, and I'm, and so she's getting kind of flustered. I'm like, I'm not saying, I'm, I'm just saying, like, I, you're trying to take me to the country club. I'm not really impressed by that. I don't understand what now you're telling me I can't be me and I have to hide who me and my boys are and I don't know what you want me to do like I can hang out out back with Jose the gardener and have a much better time than sitting in your uh-huh. fucking country club doing whatever the hell it is you're doing there like I don't know so uh-huh. in any event we ended up going <laughs> to like museums and historical sites instead of going to country club because she I mean there was no way to explain us really and not out herself uh-huh. so even so after that I'm like okay you know but I still talk to her some and you know we still talked about some things and but things would get more and more extreme like at one point during one of their moves I think it was one of the times they moved to Pennsylvania and she was telling me about shopping for houses which I can't relate to like I don't understand you know I want to live in a gated community and blah 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 so this perspective is very different and she tells me at one point she tells me I'm like okay what are you looking for you know because I was trying to like help her look online or whatever for listings and what have you and and we're talking about stuff and I ask her what she's looking for and she tells me that she literally when she looks at these listings she looks up the demographics of the neighborhood to see how many minorities live there and she wants the <laughs> lowest number possible and I'm like you are fucking racist and she yeah, got so mad is, at me and that that's racism yes. that, that, that is racism and I I want you guys to know I do the flip-flop when I look at a community because I can't have my brown kids growing up in a community that's 95% Nahalo. right like I, I literally <laughs> like, I can't did... have them in a in a community of 95% white people because it's not safe for no, you know, I've right. got a few white passing kids but um but far and away you know um 
my sons are are pretty dark and uh, that's really dangerous because I I don't want you know this problem that we have going on right now with people calling the police on on people for living and walking while brown yeah I I don't want that to be inflicted upon my children because I don't want them to die right Uh, I don't want them to be arrested and I don't want them to be assaulted so Mm -hmm. this is why I look at the demographics of a community because bigots um, are drawn to to um, neighborhoods which I'm sorry, but uh, I'm sorry to use that word, but that but that is a tactic that that is used. It was it was used 100 years ago and it's used in different ways in, in 2018. Right. And I I mean, you know, I I moved accidentally into a neighborhood one time that was very bigoted and ended up with my daughter having the police called on her repeatedly just for walking home from school because she was the only brown kid walking by this lady's house. And yes. I I mean, I had looked at the school I like I knew trauma. the school. We were, oh, we were scandalized and we were horrorized, you know. I had to move. I had to you move did. because I didn't know, yes. like, I knew the school was diverse. I didn't know there was an imaginary line there that I moved on the wrong side of by about three houses. So after that, you know, we kind of distanced more and more, um, especially because I would call her out on these things. And she got to be more and more closed-minded and more that direction, you know, as she calls it conservative views, which, like I said, we all know is coded language because uh, it doesn't actually mean what the word conservative means. So in any event, when I started calling her my parents, to their daughter <laughs> that uh-huh. happened um that didn't happen until last year last year my grandfather went into the hospital and somewhere in fe- during february i think it was uh-huh. and, i remember when that happened right? yeah and i was spending uh i was going out almost every weekend to tulsa where he was hospitalized which is about two hours from here you know i was making the trip out there and um which is kind of complicated when you have a house full of children um uh-huh. but i was going out there and she you know she at the time i think was in pennsylvania and so she you know wanted to skype with him so i let her you know so i figured out how to connect with her on skype and let him skype or whatever and she kept making excuses like i can't come because i've got this like her kids were both preschool i think like neither one were in an actual real school he they can't miss school they can't okay fine if you can't come whatever like you don't have to come it's fine they can't they can't i know i'm gonna i'm not i don't want to be facetious here but um yeah all right i'm 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 right, and I'm like, off there because the coloring sheets are really not that important. Right, and I mean, even if it's fucking kindergarten, they miss school. Like, Mike. <laughs> But whatever. So I'm like, okay, if you can't make it, you can't make it. Like, I don't need your explanation for whatever's happening. You don't have to justify it to me. If you can't make it, you can't make it. You know, we all have our priorities and our things. If you can't make it, just say that you can't. Don't make excuses. Right. The next thing she says to me is, because the the doctor had already come in, they were like, we've done all the surgery we can. We don't see this resolving on its own. He's going to die. They call in all the family. You know, so that's why she's having this conversation with me. She says, so when he dies, can you? set the funeral far enough out for me to come. I'm like, no, that's no, not how this can't. works. That's not... You can <laughs> no, either make can't. it. Funerals happen in three days. <laughs> right. I'm like, you, no. you can either make it here or you can't. Yes. It's either a priority or it's not. It's not yes. It's not important enough no, to no, me to come while set. he's dying. <laughs> but I want to show up for the funeral so that I can get sympathy from everybody and find out if I'm getting anything. That's not how this fucking works. Like, no, I no. get that's how it works to a lot of Americans. That is not how it works for us. And I was no. done. And at that time, you know, I was in the little hallway down the, what I call the bad news room. You know, they always have that one little room set up at the end of the hallway of the intensive care units where they take people to give them the bad news. Um, yes. And I have to where I was at taking the phone call. And about that time, my parents walked by and I, I, I just, t- I just held the phone out to my mom and I said, your daughter needs to talk to you cause I'm done. And yes. I really ha- have only talked to her, um, since then a couple of times she called me cause she needed to understand legal terminology, um, to prepare a will when her husband was having a surgery. Um, she texted me once to find out what size clothes my kids wore cause she was going to bring them something when she came down to visit. And she texted okay. me after that when she was coming to visit my parents to tell me <laughs> not, to, <laughs> not to have me come see her. I I didn't know she was coming okay my mother told me because I took my kids down there to drop them off for the summer because they spend the summer down there yes my they, mother they told spend me the summers in, in our, our communities right so it's important everybody needs to get their kids back to their communities even if you live in urban areas right so my mother tells me she's coming down there and I'm like you know and she's like you know that right I'm like why would I know that she we don't talk so I guess she said something to her about it because 
because then I like out of nowhere get a text message that says, um, <laughs> I'm coming, I'm going to be at mom's in a few days. So if you want to buy some Avon from me, let me know and I will bring it with me and leave it there for you to pick up later. So I'm like, I get it. I'm not invited. You don't want to see me. It's fine. <laughs> no. Do you, do you think that's what, do you think she might have been making an excuse to see you or do you think she, very, she was telling you not to, I, because that's some coded language right there. She, so, very clear, well. she very clearly said, I will bring it to leave there for you to pick up later. Mm-hmm. So it was not, a, I want to see you. And mm-hmm. I mean, for that matter, they could have stopped here on the way down there if they wanted to. I mean... Yes, you you don't live that far from from I thirty five. Right. So when you when you heard from from your sister about the um about the Avon business that <laughs> she has, which I um, I and, and for the record, I have not bought Avon Avon from her in about three or four years. So she had no reason to actually think I wanted to order some from her. Yes. So what what happened when you when you first read it? What happened? I tell, just tell I just, us how you were feeling. What I, was what were the feelings in that moment? I just kind of I just kind of laughed out loud and I'm like, I get it. I'm not invited. Okay. Like I already knew that, but I'm like, okay, she clearly doesn't want to see me. I will make sure I don't come down there. And th- that was fine. Like I'm indifferent to it. I realize we have no relationship, which is why I knew I was going out on a limb by asking her if she was interested in doing the podcast. Um, but I'm yes. like, you know, I'm going to put that out there. I know she's, you know, and give her the chance to have a voice too, which she then turned around to, you know, find a way to be mean to me and judgmental, which is fine. Whatever. Well, she pushed against, she pushed against a boundary that, that you established about something that you clearly, it was, it was a hard no, you weren't going to discuss with her. And, and then she that, also, she also made a couple of, um, jabs. Like she said, I'm also confused by the fact you think the environment was toxic, but you send your kids there for weeks at a time. And uh-huh. I'm like, what? judgmental much are we (laughs) of course I don't know if she's aware of all the changes actually yeah I do because we've had that conversation there have been a lot of changes in reconciliation so that and she's aware of that so that was just a judgmental jab and I get it whatever you know hurt people hurt people but and that's important to recognize Um, hurt people hurt people can you can you pinpoint what were the experiences in, in your childhood that harmed you the most? Oh, the most? Um, I don't know. I mean, I there, I, I was an anxious kid because, like I said, there was always chaos in our house. It was always upheaval because, you know, dad's bad health. And, um, uh-huh. and you know, my mom was young, so she hadn't developed skills on how to deal with all that either necessarily, though she tried. Um, yes. And so... You know, there were a lot of good intentions, but good intentions don't always yield good results. Um, yes. But I think the most traumatic experiences, um, hmm. I mean, I was molested by an older child when I was um, right before I went to kindergarten, so maybe four. Uh-huh. Um, yes. Which I guess that, ha- ha- as far That's as ha- having the uh-huh. longest, uh, the most dramatic effect on my life that uh-huh. um, because uh-huh. when you think about the fact I was four years old yes. my and my very first orgasm came to in the context of sexual abuse yes so that was my first orgasm by manual stimulation do you know how many years uh-huh. it took me <laughs> it took me almost three decades to be okay with that with allowing somebody to stimulate me that way again to that point uh-huh. and sometimes yes. I still can't relax to do it so, and then, of course, there was, um, I don't know, there was a lot of fear of my, my dad. And uh-huh. even though he didn't really, I mean, he he would whoop us with the belt or whatever. But there wasn't a whole lot of physical, like, he hit me a couple of times, um, threw things at me. But uh-huh. it wasn't, of course, in his mind, that's not abusive because, you know, he wasn't punching us in the face like he got. So, yes, yes. But, so there's always, but the, the I can't handle being yelled at by men because I always feel I like a... Like yes. a physical violence is imminent, um, is imminent. even mm-hmm. if it's that's not. A good way to look at it. Even yes. if it's not, even if I know it's mm-hmm. not a person, a, a man that's going to do that, it's still like that's the immediate fire plate. And then when I was 14, I ran away from home, mm-hmm. and um, while I was gone, I was raped, and that's where PTSD comes from. And yes. interestingly enough, that is the most traumatic experience of my life, but it actually caused a huge shift in my home life. Okay. Um, because 
they got, I think they finally, now they will not to this day acknowledge that anything they did contributed to me running away ever. I was just being a selfish, horrible person, you know, whatever. Um, uh -oh. you know, and I, I, I read that every time I hear somebody talk about they're just running away because their parents are imposing rules. No, that well, is, healthy people don't run away from healthy environments. So no, that's, that doesn't exist. That's what I hear every time I hear that. I'm like, really, that's what you think? Not long after that, of course, you know, Holly went off to um, college and I think they just kind of realized I'm going to do what I'm going to do. So but they were afraid like we haven't talked about the fact that i was raped we've never actually openly acknowledged that i do believe they are aware of it but we don't have this conversation we and i hope we never will i don't want to talk to them about it just because the way things transpired after i was found and taken to the cops and the hospital and everything so they started there for a while just kind of ignoring the things like i know damn well there is no way i was speaking hot right covering you know this that, is um that avoidance this, this would be akin to to gaslighting someone almost pretending that um a terrible highly traumatic situation didn't occur when you refuse to to acknowledge it you you are actually hindering somebody's um ability to recover from it part of it is they didn't know how to process or, or come no, to they, terms with they it they were incapable of it because right. it genuinely was not meant to to harm you it was it was rather a side effect of their right not they knowing don't know how, how, to, to, how to handle this exactly right and i and asked for therapy at when i was 15 i asked to be taken to therapy and i was refused because they don't they didn't trust that system and they didn't believe that it would help plus there's the whole preacher's kid thing mental health in the evangelical community mental struggling with mental health is seen as a moral failing and i have heard of people in 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 some i have a hard time calling them churches but in, in they some, are they are there are there are entire groups of people that blame all of the medical problems whether it is mental or physical upon those who are suffering from them my grandmother yeah, they be, believe it's yes. it's all if if you're right with god that won't happen and if yes. if something's wrong with yeah. you it means you're not right with god and you're doing something yes. wrong see i i think that's criminal I, I really do i think that's criminal um that's criminal abuse of, of children and and vulnerable people so, so um Mm -hmm. Can you tell me from from your childhood what are the things that gave you strength? Um, so take a look back, and you know I know you've talked about your your extended family because you you know there were a lot of challenging situations. You know I can I can imagine because I know all too well what it looks like when there's a health crisis in the family. What are some of the things that gave you you strength that you carry with you from your childhood? Oh no. Um, I, I guess family a lot, you know, we had family support. Our family, I like to joke about our family being one big dysfunctional family, you know, and it's extended family too. It's not just, you know, when I say family, a lot of people think just, I'm talking about just our nuclear family. About the nuclear family. But yeah, we're that's not, how you know. Our families work. Right. We've got the grandparents and we've got the aunties and we've got, you know, we've got this extended yeah, network. Mm -hmm. I remember mm -hmm. being three years old, spending, I know it had, it was at least two weeks, probably longer, with one of my aunties. I, I, I vividly remember because god they had so many kids um because <laughs> my uncle had like eight kids and then uh -huh. they all had a bunch One of kids more, two more didn't really matter right um, and and everybody yeah. you know we all spend a lot of time during the summer with the grandparents right so there was like a herd of kids there uh Absolutely. because that was um the grandmother's That's house too. Yes. and so yes. there was like tons that, that was of kids home. Yes. right exactly. and, and of course it's and hilarious I, because mm -hmm. there's only like four of us that are mixed right so we're like the mm -hmm. white skin cousins so it's yes. hilarious so of course you know they like to tease us about being white which is always funny which is hilarious now because because a lot of their grandkids look like me. Um, <laughs> Anecdotally, I love how you said my grandmother's house, and that is something um, <laughs> unique to Indigenous people. Um, we don't we don't call the homes um, as as belonging to to the father or the oh grandfather. yeah they i forget are... that people do that yeah now one one thing that um we were raised with differently than happens in a lot of evangelical churches is we were raised to never depend on a man or, mm -hmm. a, or a partner and a lot of that was because well for one my grandmother i love my grandfather i love him i'm, I'm his favorite grandchild until and then of course my kids came along and they outranked me now but yes um, of course Especially one of them. He is not shy about about having a favorite. Um, 
but he was an abusive alcoholic and she she stayed with him and she'd continually go back to him and she always said you know and I guess in my dad's mind it was always you know well she financially needs him which was not the reality but that was how it was set up in his mind and so that's what he always told us he's like you need to be able to support your family of course of course in our culture that's our job anyways to be able to support our own children um but between the I don't want you to ever be feel like you're stuck in an abusive relationship and the what if your what if your significant other died because like I said you know he was always dying um one of my aunties married a wonderful man and he died like six months later and they were still really young and so you know we were always raised with that drilled into us you need to support yourself you need to go go do these things to support yourself right because you never know what's Mm -hmm. gonna happen I mean yeah that's one thing that I think has sustained me and and made me part of who I am is that um you know growing up with that I don't know instruction I don't want to call it a value I don't think it's a value I think it's just common sense that you Uh know you need to be able to support yourself and also willing I mean we were raised on a small ranch we learned how to work and so we you know we knew how to work ethic Uh right to work hard and it doesn't always have to be you know nice or glamorous or fun but you know find a way you know figure out what you want and find a way to get there so that's just what I do and of course you know our culture our cultural values and teachings are very important I try to let them guide uh everything that I do and when I don't (laughs) it usually ends up bad and I have to fix it (laughs) yeah so that's kind of um that's definitely a bright thread that that goes throughout your your childhood and even into you know the the sense of community responsibility that you know, you practice and that is very much a part of your, your, your life today. So can you tell me a little bit about, um, what interdependence, community interdependence, especially within tribal community structures, um, what that looks like to you? What do you mean? So can you elaborate, um, one please? of the key differences <laughs> between different cultures and, you know, I see it all the time and our, our young people coming up, they will look at needs within the community and they will base their, their life careers you know, you've done it yourself, you know, with your, with your background, you know, you haven't discussed exactly what your, what your diplomas are, are related to. However, you, you went into those fields after you saw that there was a need for them. Okay. So what does, what does healthy interdependence look like? Um, <laughs> healthy interdependence. I'm not sure we're always healthy, but um, I think, you know, support networks and, you know, positive interdependence, right. (laughs) And having that, um, I mean, having a support system in, you know, I think we want it to look like, you know, some particular way, but you know, the reality is we're people and we are from communities with intergenerational trauma. So they're not always going to look pristine and perfect. You know, I have family who's in prison or has been in prison or, you know, who've done horrible things, but that doesn't mean they're horrible people. And that doesn't mean I throw them away either. Um, you know, and I have aunties who call me when, you know, (laughs) have you gotten a call about broken, broken yet? I have not. And I'm going to have to talk about it when you do, because I know it's coming. (laughs) I have deliberately not invited any of the aunties to the, um, page or shared it on my private profile because I don't want that call. I haven't either. I don't want to be called out for some of the stuff we talk about. Well, I'm not worried about, I, I'm not worried about being called out for some of the stuff we talk about because I am the exact same person I am on the podcast as I am in real you life. Are. I have Absolutely. no problem talking to my aunties about this stuff. I have no problem talking about it in front of them. I mean, sometimes uh-huh. you might get a little tisk tisk, but whatever. I'm like, you guys raised me. Like, I've heard you talk this shit before. Just, be- you just because yeah. you're super churchy now. Like, I remember you 20 years ago. You taught me this stuff. So, don't, <laughs> um, so you so know. They, but I don't they... want to get, I don't want to get the call when I accidentally say something about one of them and they recognize themselves in the story and they're not happy about it. That's the call I don't want to get. Because the only thing I'm going to be able to say is, but where's the lie? <laughs> See, I, I can very well picture, you know, the older women in my, my family chewing me out over over our, our use of, of language. Um, I still get the, I still get the, um, the, the fuck is a, is a terrible, horrible word to use, and it's extremely limiting. So, um, you know, um, th- this is, this is 
my experience. So, um, but I, I will say the women in my family, I know they would support me and, and the work that, you know, we're, we're working on and the work that we want to do. You can contact the podcast at brokebrokenpodcast at gmail.com. The Broken Broken Podcast can be found on Twitter at Broke Broken Show, on Instagram and Facebook at Broke Broken Podcast.